week on pay-per-view elon musk versus zuckerberg the other thing that no one's talking about is that elon musk has Neuralink, so he could literally teach himself to become the ultimate fighting machine mma ufc boxing probably brazilian jiu-jitsu i probably said that wrong but Will Zuck even show up? That's the other question. Like, he could be in the metaverse. <laughs> Too many variables at stake, folks. So we'll be talking about that. We got a Pounder's thesis pick from a guest Pounder today. Another episode of Pounding the Table starts in three, two, uno. Down 1.7% here, a loss of 37 points or so. Apple shares are just getting hammered this morning. We're down by between three and four and a half percent generally across these markets. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. We're red everywhere, essentially. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 80 of Pounding the Table. Today we have a special guest with us, Stock Savvy Shy on Twitter. As the pod of the people, we thought, what else could we do besides bring longtime listeners on the pod? Let them talk, because they actually know a lot more than I do. Tends to be the case here. But uh, it's at Stock, S-A-V-V-Y, Shai. Welcome as potentially the third host here. We're going to try you out here and see if people uh, like you. But for those, before we jump into the news, I want to introduce yourself. You went to IU, Hooper. Thanks, Avi. Yeah, longtime listener. Um Started listening during the COVID days. Used to walk with my dog on the weekends, listen to um, Avi's great voice and Tony be- pushing back on some commentary of Avi. Always a great entertainment. Uh, I played ball at Indiana. So, hey, Victor Oladipo, if you uh, listen to this, I know you've gone out of touch, but you can hit me up every once in a while. Background um, director of corporate strategy for a couple of years for a Fortune 5 company. Geek out on doing deep dive in stocks and shooting hot takes. And my girlfriend was sick of listening to me doing them. So I decided to. Started Twitter a couple months ago, and now I'm here. Thanks for having me. I did not know you were a listener at the time, and then I was looking through your tweets, and I, I just found, like, definitely go out and follow him if you guys are listening, because he does great, and we're going to try to convince him to help our Twitter account and get more involved in some of those deep dives. But welcome to the podcast. Joey, I see you sitting there. Don't get too shy on me. Let's kick it off and get into the highlights of the week. So Fed Chair Jerome Powell has a biannual testimony with Congress reiterating the 2% inflation goal and potentially two more rate hikes this year. So again, we talked about this the past few weeks. They did a pause, so everyone got excited, started looking at the stocks running up again. Are people like ignoring Jerome? I know you have a deep love for this guy. Yeah, so I I think I've made my opinion quite clear on how I think he's done his job and how well he's done it. I think he's just constantly confusing the markets. You know, we were looking for one more hike and then a pause. Then all of a sudden he wants to do two more rate hikes because, you know, finally seeing that inflation still kind of out of control, economy still running hot. So yeah, it's just, you know, he continues to not have a clear strategy and almost like winging it as he goes. So this is just another iteration of Jerome being Jerome. I totally agree with you. I think Jerome is like has a great skill set of reiterating facts that we've all known six months ago. And I think he's just, of course, his goal is 2%. I personally think it's going to be a while before we hit that. I think he's going to go with that narrative that he's in control and that we are monitoring and we're going to hit that 2%. We all know we're not even close and that won't happen for a while. And it's just purely entertainment standpoint right now. It is the truth. I mean, it's become like this whole thing, like all eyes on Powell, right? 
And he's got like more power than the president right now. It's, it's kind of crazy what, what's happening there. Speaking of the government here, FTC, Federal Trade Commission, is suing Amazon for inducing users to sign up for Amazon Prime, which I thought was hilarious. It's one of those like almost hot coffee at McDonald's people getting sued for. But I, I've actually never tried to cancel Prime. So maybe it is actually why would you? difficult to do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mean, why would you? Yeah. So, I mean, the thought of making it difficult. But number two is, this is nothing new in the game. Like, have you tried to cancel your cable or switch anything? Like, there's a lot of pushback. I remember there was a really funny thread on someone trying to cancel their cable provider. And it was like 45 minutes of just back and forth conversation, almost refusing to do so. So, I mean, this isn't new. I guess it's just one of those, let's find some ridiculous reason to go after a big tech name to try to get like some quick cash out of them. Amazon is one of the few big tech that don't have a founder-led CEO and it's kind of an easy one to bully. If you notice, like ever since Bezos left, they've kind of been the poster board of any kind of big movement for anything political. I think that's a huge part of it, just poster boy, big tech bullying. So Tesla, we've talked about it a lot in the past few weeks. Elon in the news again, beyond just the cage match, of course. Yeah. Everyone's got their money on Zuck, but you know Elon could pay a few billion dollars for some training for a month or two. So Dana White has already come out saying that both guys are very serious about doing it. It would be by far the largest pay-per-view of all time. And they're saying they would donate the proceeds. Like a celebrity death match. (laughs) But so here's the thing is like, okay, Musk has significant size on Zuck. Zuck is like a Brazilian (laughs) jiu-jitsu. Like he just won a competition for jiu-jitsu. The dude's crazy fit. He did Murph in under 40 minutes. I saw which Murph, I know me and you were talking about this Ali. Like it's, incredibly difficult. And that's a time that I've never been able to do. And I consider myself quite fit. But I would love to see, I saw someone on Twitter post a picture of Jeff Bezos on the back of his yacht, having his now wife spray like sunscreen on him. I want to see that man. Like one of those old wrestling matches where they have to throw each other out. Yeah. Just like a battle royale with those three. Because Bezos is freaking jacked. And I guarantee you, he's got some other mixed martial arts training in there to where it's almost like I love Musk. He's by far my favorite of the three, but I think a Zuck versus Bezos would be more entertaining just because, you know, almost how jacked those dudes are. Musk is already doing the self-deprecating like, oh, you know, I'm just on my yacht. <laughs> eating donuts. <laughs> he's actually yeah. quite, but yeah, he, he's a big dude. Like I want to say he's six two, two something and Zuck's much smaller to where there is a reason there's weight classes, but Train in jujitsu, like it doesn't matter the size of the person going against you. If you get them on the ground, that's essentially all Zuck needs to do. So, but like again, like just how amazing this could be. I'll pay a hundred bucks to watch that. Oh, hundred percent. Knowing it's going to charity. Uh, and we have a preview of it too. Like, look at Elon's reach is ninety three inches versus. <laughs> well, yeah, see, the entertainment factor is massive, and then I consider those are my two largest investments. So it's almost like my two largest CEOs with ultimate publicity. It's. Do you think there's an effect on the market? Like if Elon loses this test 20% here. I don't think there, there would be anything like that. I almost see it as just like the ultimate marketing engine for both of these guys. Because it may need anything else. Yeah. But I want to see, because you know, Facebook and Twitter will both want streaming rights to it. Like there, there's so much that could go into this. Bobby brought a great point. Musk hasn't lost in his life yet. He has wow. his God fear. If he loses... It might taint his little image of all the, anything he touches. As a gambling degenerate, I am more curious to see what the Vegas odds are in that fight. That would be interesting. 
Now it, it, I'm betting it's Zuck minus two fifty is my bet. <laughs> I think they can also it. they can also film like their training sessions leading up to it because you know like Zuck has his coaches. Musk is going to have he'll probably have Joe Rogan and his whole team training him. Like they could make this an entire series that they share, like That's Twitter it. airing all of Musk's actual training. Facebook, yeah. Instagram, airing all of Zuckerberg's training, all like the amount of publicity they could get. Like this, hard knocks, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like Ultimate Fighter, but each of these guys using their own platforms and networks to do it. And meanwhile, I mean, you know, they're running these massive $700, $800 billion companies. Like he actually does take an hour out of his, his day. Like how much money does that cost, right? Because everything we talked about with Twitter, when he put focus his attention on Twitter, there may be some investors that are like, is this guy serious? Like he's actually spending time training and making a thing, which is going to take hours out of his day. Not forbid the guy take one hour to do something for himself. Like he's built how many companies, both of them even, yeah. like look at what they built. I think they can afford to spend a couple hours at a gym for a couple months. God, I'm so excited ab about this. It's, it's hilarious. And maybe uh, Zucks is not even real. Like he could be using like an AI to like create this whole image of him him working out too we don't know everything is up on the table right now i don't i don't think you would risk angering the brazilian jiu-jitsu community that's not right. that's not a population you it want could to be his whole metaverse and advertising <laughs> what do we can do he's training in the metaverse for this moving along all right let's go tesla elon musk is meeting with the prime minister modi in new york modi was just at the white house today as well prime minister of india those living under a rock. Any thoughts on that? I know he just recently was mentioning he may be going into India. Tesla's been on an absolute terror recently. I, I mean, he mentioned it next year, but it was a very vague comment. It's almost, whenever Musk does these kind of vague comments, there's not that much validity behind it. I think India is going to not go with Tesla. I think Biden is actually going to force them to open up the market even more, not give Tesla such a massive market share. Where it's almost creating a monopoly with like giving every access to all the major automotive companies like to the chargers. That's a huge, huge move that they created, even though like they're going to lose market share potentially from that news. But it's just showing how powerful Tesla is. And it's very dangerous. Like As you can see with Apple, like they're about to hit three trillion dollars. If one company becomes such a monopoly within the U.S., like it becomes dangerous. So imagine having two of them. Like, why do you even need a president or? Well, and Musk is, has gotten pretty political. I, I, that was like what I was saying. He was getting way too close to the sun and then Tesla dropped. So I actually kind of nailed that. Then Joey helped me with the, the bottom tip there on the way up. But yeah, he's gotten to be this polarizing figure where I wonder if, if Biden's like, yo, we need to open this thing up. Joey, is, is this me just being a conspiracy theorist and, and thinking into that? Or is there a substance behind that? Well, no, no. I just look at, you know, India is a massive market. And, you know, he pulled off a pretty incredible arrangement to enter China and you see what he's done over there. So it's only fitting that, you know, he answered this Indian market and, and get a sweet deal to do it. Now, I look at it as, um, you know, they historically they have like smaller versions of cars in India because, you know, they're like the roads are smaller, everything's tighter, uh, very dense population area. So I almost look at like, you know, the types of cars that they could actually create for this market in particular. Now, of course, they'll want to bring their usual models over there too, but it does leave the space for like, you know, them to innovate further and create smaller versions of cars specifically for these markets. 
And I know that they weren't aligned on specific, you know, tax incentives and everything to get over there. But if someone's going to pull it off and figure it out, it's going to be must. I was just thinking like Indonesia and other very like densely populated areas are like Southeast Asia. I don't know about the Southeast Asian market in general. I know uh, they've got Chinese market quite large, but yeah, he's been waiting to enter India because that's one of the things I was looking at. It's like, okay, he's trying to build a manufacturer, like a gigafactory over there. Are they selling as of now? And everything I saw said they are not, but you know, this does enter the market. Like what if they come up with like the Tesla version of a tuk-tuk? How cool that would be? I mean, I just looked this up. So they uh, initiated bookings last year for cars in Thailand and Southeast Asia. Grab, I think it was. Dude, I was literally going across the like 20 minute rides for, I think it was like a dollar. It was absurd pricing where I felt horrible and I'd give like a $5 tip which is still kind of messed up with me, but it was like a 500% tip. But you brought up a good point. Like a lot of those areas are densely populated where you would need a smaller car. And that could be kind of interesting as a new product line in those areas. Yeah, so like they would almost have to design something specifically for these. So like, I don't think the Model Y or like the SUVs would be something he would even waste, like the Cybertruck. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna be producing any of those over there. But like, if you go to the top selling cars in India and you start looking at, you know, the size of these, they're not these massive SUVs. Like that's only for, you know, like the corporate side of things. But yeah, all their main cars, it's almost like the largest one kind of looks like a Honda CRV. So it's almost like, you know, the Model 3 would be fitting in there. But, you know, would he create a, a car specifically for that market? And I don't see why not. I mean, I would love that I go in the scooter route at NIU when you going something like that. And Thailand and some in between of the sedan and like the scooters would be great because like I agree with you the cars that he has right now would not fit in India I'm shocked I, I'm looking at the same article Avi like they have he has yeah. it in Thailand that's shocking to me How man the Tesla Tuk Tuk I would want one of those that'd be so cool 100% I'm just like and it's also very cost heavy to create an own car just for one specific region I don't do don't think that don't think that will do well in US or China so mm -hmm. somewhat strategy Musk is going to do India. Yeah. Well, it could, it could apply for both Southeast Asia and India. And especially if, if they move towards the, these smaller cities, like those smart cities as well that are going to be built out. I mean, this is years and years out to actually come into fruition, but fun idea, Joey. I like the, I like the concept. What? And this entirely comes from watching Blippi, which is a, a children's star on YouTube. And he went to India and rode around in a tuk-tuk. And that's where I then was doing research on, okay, what is this? And yeah, just because they need smaller cars over there because it's so dense. Well, you, the fact. cartoon you got to watch is the, is the Simpsons. If it happened in the Simpsons, then it will happen. <laughs> I don't know if you saw, they like predicted the summer read or some shit somehow. They predicted like 10 things that actually became real. It's like Donald Trump becoming president. <laughs> it was like the Simpsons is drawing out the future. Root car insurance. That was a SPAC, yeah, I think, a while back. We haven't really talked about them in, in ages, but... They just made some news. Shout out to my buddy, Jesse, if you're listening. Good call on that one. Six months later, the car insurance startup received a buyout offer from Embedded Insurance. What do you think this means for like Carvana and some of these other car companies right now? Well, so Root was a traditional IPO. The one you're thinking of, the SPAC, it was like Metro Mile. Oh, yes. With Mark Cuban. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think someone ended up buying them. It could have been Root that bought them. Someone took them. But yeah, I think like the entire insurance space has always been one that's, you know, ripe for M&A activity. 
And you see a lot of these like AI startups, like, you know, like a Lemonade, there's Root. There, there's so many smaller players that I think could get scooped by bigger players. Or Lemonade was actually, players. sorry to interrupt you. Lemonade was the one that bought Metro Mile. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, Lemonade. I mean, so, you know, they've got the whole AI theme. It hasn't been all that great since their IPO. But yeah, I just think the insurance space, it's always been big on M&A, especially with like Berkshire taking out some big names in that space that it makes sense for the smaller players to be consolidating. It's not a space that really excites me or that I'm looking for positions in. So I, I kind of stick to what I know and insurance is not one of them. Yeah. I mean, the business economics behind insurance companies is not my favorite. I was surprised to read Root was Carvana backed. So Carvana is going to get a little nice payday from that acquisition. And now um, I'll be indicator. I always know somehow though. My girlfriend's Gen Z, all her friends know of Lemonade. Like that's like the, what they go through for renters insurance. Like I want to like that company, read their balance sheet, read their business model. I just don't see it's, if it's worth it or not, especially with how, how beaten the growth tech was past two years. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to something like that. The U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, met with China over two days in Beijing discussing U.S.-China ties. So I, I just mentioned you know, Elon Musk, obviously Tesla's pretty tied in there with China, but it's obviously well beyond just <laughs> Tesla, right? So the U.S.-China ties all together, it's kind of this balancing act of these two superpowers, which everyone's aware of. But do you think this opens up some China relationships? They just got back too with Taiwan is is not separated from China. So yeah, it's interesting to see. Yeah, Blinken goes over there and says, you know, talks are great. Relations are improving. The next day, Biden calls she a dictator and it seems like everything is just forgotten. Everything gets worse. So I don't really know what is going on there. It's almost like, hey, this seems too good. Let's make it terrible now by calling him something that he never wants to be called. So it seems ridiculous. Then we say, yeah, we don't see Taiwan as independent, don't support their independence yet, have said in the past that we will not allow China to like take Taiwan back. It's like, okay, so none of it ever makes sense. But I guess that's been the US policy for the longest time. It's almost like, don't acknowledge the independence, but we know that our entire tech sector almost like relies on the semiconductors that come out of Taiwan. So we can't let that fall into China's hands. So we'll say one thing while doing another, sending Pelosi over there to visit and constantly sending people to Taiwan to say, you know, other things in person with them, say something else to China. It's not a great look on our part, but I mean, it's necessary because the CHIPS Act and everything we're doing is is too little too late to where we need to ramp production over here to be able to sustain if slash when China does act on their plan that they've got, which includes taking Taiwan back by 2050, I want to say. Yeah, I'm wondering what's more of a cloud narrative that China and Xi with Biden U.S. policy or reiterating the 2% inflation target. And then the other thing is, why is it like Musk meets with China, then all of a sudden the U.S. needs to meet with China and then Musk meets with Modi. Oh, now the U.S. needs. That's what I'm saying. It's more interesting than people think. Is the U.S. just jealous of Musk? You know, we just want to make sure we're we're better friends with them than he is. It's like, no, Musk is making progress. You guys are just I don't know what you're doing because (laughs) it seems like something was going good. And then you name call and make it worse. I feel like. If there's a nation you need good relations with, it's going to be China. Why piss them off when it's not needed? U.S. housing had the biggest jump since 2016, coming in at 1.63 versus the estimated 1.4 million. 
on a macro level, how do you think this plays a role in, in how people are reacting to the market? I mean, people need to live somewhere. And I know like if they're getting a different job and need to move, but I'm stuck in the sense of my mortgage is 2.875%. I am not going anywhere. I will be staying right here for the long term. And we're so far away, especially because, you know, Jerome Powell saying we're not going to see rate cuts for like two years to where I guess if people are going to move, they might wait for some rate cuts, but who knows when that's actually going to happen to where housing's just a difficult space, but it's still undersupplied. So there's going to be that demand, but trying to figure out like from an investor standpoint, how you want to position yourselves. I'm just left with so many other better opportunities that it's one that I'll always be looking at, but not one that I'm like itching to, okay, should I buy Zillow? Should I go Redfin? Should I go Open Door? It's almost like, you know what? I'm going to stick with something I understand better and that has better margins. Yeah. But from like a macro perspective, do you think, you know, the market sees like, okay, people have some money on the sidelines. I live in New York, right? So I see a lot of people leaving New York. I see a lot of people leaving the cities, you know? So I don't know if that, it's just me thinking that because I'm in this bubble, right? And seeing it firsthand or if it's a, something bigger. I guess from a macro perspective, it's good to see this. It's not like all economic activity is coming to a screeching halt as a result of everything that we're seeing. But yeah, it's, it's another one of those situations where I kind of fall back on, you know, where rates are at to where, yeah, people are moving or getting housing if they really need it. But I feel like the majority of people are wanting to stay put just because they're kind of locked in. It's almost like when you get stuck on a, on a stock that you wanted to buy in the 20s and it ran to the 50s, you're like, oh, you know, I'm, I want to wait for it to fall back closer to that original price. Like if you were looking at houses when rates were in the threes, all of a sudden they're in sixes and sevens, like, oh, okay, I kind of want to wait for it to come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to play this game, but then who knows if they go up, right? Like, well, yeah. So like the perfect example well. <laughs> is I was looking, potentially taking a job in another state very far out in the West. 2,000 miles away from where I'm at. So I was looking, it was very similar cost of living, same size houses, same cost, everything. But had I bought and sold houses, the same exact val value that I'm in right now, just because of the interest rate difference on 2875 to the current rate, it was instead of $2,400 a month mortgage, it was $4,200 a month. Jeez. And it, it like, just the difference it, what, that interest rates make, like we're talking to where like I would have had to try to negotiate for significantly higher on a base simply to cover right. my cost of living. It's like, and I ended up having to turn it down because I was like, I'm sorry, I would lose money moving there. Even though like everything sounds great. It's like housing is so expensive to where like in everything else, I've got three kids, you know, they do gymnastics, they have swimming, they have all these other activities yeah. to where like I was doing all my monthly expenses and it just wasn't feasible. It's like, I'd be better off staying put and finding some job that you know pays significantly less because housing it's better just to stay put. So I mean, it's crazy what's going on in the housing market simply because of interest rates. And now we're talking two more hikes. I mean, we're talking interest rates could be pushing you know like eight percent for some people. It's almost like I'm going to have to rent forever and be happy about it. Joe, we forgot this one when we were talking about Tesla, but real quick, mention Rivian, since you did mention that a lot of these other brands are going to start coming on, they're going to adapt to Tesla's charging standards as well, following Ford and GM. You see what other companies are out there that, that are need to fall in line here now with the rule of Elon Musk? 
Well, yeah, so this is what we're talking about now, like everybody would need to follow suit and either join Tesla for GM or, you know, start partnering with the other big automakers to try to figure out what their charging port's going to be. It seems like NACS is where everybody wants to go. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's almost like now everybody just needs to adopt this one standard to make it easy. And then I saw this great report. I, I can't for the life of me remember who it was, but CNBC was talking and someone was valuing just the EV infrastructure and like the whole charging network of Tesla. They valued it at $78 a share alone and saying this could be like a $100 billion business. So if they can get, you know, every car using their network and then just, you know, ramp that thing up, they could essentially become like the convenience store or gas stations of all EVs. That's right. Really, yeah. That's the superchargers everywhere. Not to mention all their solar panels, everything else. It's... It's pretty awesome and, and impressive to see what they're doing. Now he's truly the energy company. Because I, I do agree. I think this is like obviously big news, but it's it's not big enough news, I think. Because unless they, that's the other thing is, is, is a monopoly. Does he become like all the oil companies as everything slowly over the next 10, 20 years moves into EVs? Like, does he now become this huge conglomerate if he owns every single gas station, you know, electric station? Do you well, think yeah. he forced hand, his hand and like make another big company? Yeah. And then you see this other report where Tesla's talking about buying this. I don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's Wyferian, but it's essentially wireless charging systems for industrial EVs. And you think like if they, if they had these charger networks that are actually wireless to these cars as well, like, yeah, yeah it, you can see that even with this potential acquisition, that now there's increased focus on the EV infrastructure. And all these deals kind of, you know, set it in place to where it only makes sense for them to absolutely ramp and putting these all over. What's also interesting, uh, I'm curious to see Tesla's market share after 2025. I think it's going to dip as like steep as like a black diamond mountain. Immediate short term, great cash infusion from the strategy. I do think they open the door a little for competitors to accelerate their market share in the whole industry. That's the only negative I could see behind this kind of news. Well, yeah, thinking about the expenses that probably goes into building this infrastructure. Now, again, going back to his relationship with Congress, are they going to be super happy to help him out if he's the monopoly in this space too? Like, that's another Mm -hmm. thing to kind of think about. I agree, like in terms of the cars itself, that's why I was saying he's kind of transitioning now to this energy company he always positioned it as. Now... You know, what happens if he does take the entire market? There's kind of this, you know, where he's dipping in the cars, but he's increasing his share in in the grid effectively. Yeah, I know it's been running quite a bit. I get excited about it and, and think of him now owning, becoming this oil conglomerate for the new decades to come. But I don't think it's going to be that easy given the hill he's put himself on and the spotlight he's put himself on as well. Yeah, because anything Elon does, he's going to do to the absolute highest standard. So you're talking... You know, he could almost be like the Bucky's or the Wawa of these EV charging stations to where he's going to make it the absolute best experience to where why would you stop at a charge point or any of these other ones where you're plugging and then finding some store around it to go into or just chilling in your car if you could have some sort of like great experience if that's what what he aims to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked after like the Solar City merger with like the sketchy cut deal with his cousin. I'm shocked that there wasn't that much movement in house charging. I'd rather be more like charging all your power in your house. Shocked, I haven't seen any movement on that. Maybe it's too big of an idea or it's not profitable enough. So I owned Solar City when that happened and I sold it to not let it convert to Tesla shares. I thought, oh, I'm just going to take my money and walk. Mm. 
And the other thing, this is another thing. Literally the day before Whole Foods got acquired by Amazon, I, this might have been a Monday morning. So I might have done this on a Friday. Could have been a Tuesday and I did it on Monday. I sold Whole Foods and bought Kroger the day before that deal happened. So I woke up and I was like, holy crap, the company I just sold just got bought. Uh, of course, Amazon ends up buying them. I but on the same them. day, because <laughs> Amazon was entering the grocery space, Kroger stock absolutely tanked. So not only did I sell what would have been a winner, but I bought a company that just got scouts on that news. I want to say it dropped like 15% that day. Throwing it back. I was terrible when I was young. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, this is like the new Elon Musk podcast. I feel like the past few weeks, we've just been hammering it home on him. Uh, last thing here, Alibaba, some Chinese news, has a leadership change as the current CEO is stepping down. So this is not Jack Ma. So someone had replaced Jack Ma, right, after his disappearance. And I was going to say, where is Jack Ma? That is, and a, is that really Jack Ma? Just like, is Kanye Kanye? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That is not Kanye. But let's go on. Isn't this just Photoshop? <laughs> There's, I saw the new things on TikTok where it's like, are these people all duplicates? And it was showing like all these like people that look very similar to the point where like, are they Listen, duplicates? <laughs> all I will say is do not click on any of those videos on TikTok because oh, my entire thing is all like, the history of cloning technologies and all this stuff to where, yeah, I made the mistake of watching one and clicking one. But now all I get is like every celebrity is some sort of clones. Just yeah, um, <laughs> I need to like reset my TikTok or something just to try to get out of it. It's even too much for me. I'm like, this is bullshit, guys. This, some of this is crazy. But anyways, as we promised, we're getting back to being the pot of the people. We've got a lot of demands to do more deep dives back into specific stocks. And that is why we brought Shai on here today. So we're really excited. We were asking him like what stocks he's really interested in right now. So we're going to do a deep dive on a unity that we had spoken about quite a bit ago. Joey, why don't you refresh everyone? And then Shai, if you want to go into kind of where you think there's bullish and let's pick it apart too, where there's a bear case as well. Yeah. So very high level on unity is, you know, this was a pandemic darling and they actually came public during the whole IPO craze. So they got the rich valuation and almost, you know, never looked back. So they also hit a lot of the big keywords. You know, it's essentially a design platform where you can create, whether it's, you know, digital characters, anything design related, whether it's video games, these digital twins that you're seeing all over AI universes, you know, all of this software or everything's basically developed on this platform. And the main two ones you'll see are Unity and then Unreal Engine which I believe that's based in China. But, but yeah, so looking at Unity, I mean, a massive amount of the, of the games you'll find in the App Store are all built with Unity. They even do like their ads through there. So Unity platform is quite powerful to say the least. And, you know, so they, they hit a lot of the keywords where, you know, everybody loves whether a software as a service as it came public or the platform as a service. Then the metaverse took off. You know, these guys are the ones that are almost offering the software to build everything that you need for the metaverse, creating your digital twin, you know, all those like the, the universe that you could be in in this metaverse. So they're almost seen as like the picks and shovels as well as the platform to do it. And that's why, you know, the stock took off, kind of got out of hand. It almost seemed like everybody and their mother were, were fans of the company or talking about it. And it's since kind of fallen from grace. 
But it has since resurfaced because you look at this Apple Vision Pro, this headset they've got coming out. And of course, Unity is going to be a big player in that. So that's why it's kind of resurfaced and the stock's been on a little bit of a run over the last month. And I'll pass it over to Shai so he can give us more details on his overall thesis. Yeah, thanks, Joey. I think it's well known across the whole community. You have a duopoly with Unreal Engine where if you're going to develop a game, you're going to do it between these two companies. I think the issue from the beginning was evaluation, very hot IPO stock. It skyrocketed in front to $200, consolidated a little. And then once the crash happened with all growth tech, it died very quickly. I think my, I've always owned the stock in my book because I love the tech. However, caveat is I really dislike the management. The CEO was the CEO at EA Sports when I used to own it back in the day. And I sold it because of governance. And I was hoping in the past 2021, 2022, they might revisit a change of management. The acquisition of Iron Source is a great one in my belief where it provides them an opportunity to monetize their platform, especially in AR. And I kind of love the Iron Source CEO. So I was hoping potentially there could be a pivot switch there. Haven't seen that yet. Luckily, Unity was able to finally go over the 200-day weekly moving average with the Apple Vision Pro headset announcements. If you're a game developer on Unity, you can translate the games into the Vision Pro headset pretty seamlessly. So that was a great tailwind that the company really needed to get out. They don't have an exclusive there, do they? No, not an exclusive, no. But it's enough where I think it gets some kind of new tailwind for the stock because it's been a very tough macro environment for gaming. As you guys are aware, nobody's spending ads. Ad tech is getting destroyed besides my darling trade desk, always my top 15. But I think this partnership is exactly what they needed to get their eyes back on their tech. And I think it's going to start accelerating their earnings growth. Like right now, they're actually very overlooked with their valuation currently, where they're growing 54% this year. I will pause there due to the acquisition iron source however they're still growing 20 percent yearly until 2025 they are non-gap free cash flow positive the SBC, as with any other growth tech is pretty harsh and i do think this partnership will trigger some kind of significant rise in the adoption of ar and vr tech across multiple sectors which should boost the unity's platform adoption and that's kind of what they need that issue scaling and i think this partnership will help them with that scale and I do think that before the acquisition of Iron Source, they were reporting negative net income and free cash flow. They just reported positive free cash flow one or two quarters ago. So I think now that the there are more metrics to compare them against other growth tech, I do think that's going to be beneficial and gain more investors into buying the stock. What's their revenue models? Are they based off purely ads? I remember I was a and sorry, I, I lost a lot of money with skills as well. But skills, I remember, you know, they had a unique business model where they, you know, pay the developers to the games or they'd take a percentage, I remember from a while back. But do they have a as a as the platform, are they taking ad revenue and then do they charge a software revenue as well? Yeah, the threefold approach for how they make their money, it's between software licensing, Unity Asset Store, and the Unity ads. So their primary source is the software licensing, like you said. They have a unique business approach where they won't take any dollar from the developer until they actually produce the game and sell them. 
So it's more of a profit sharing. So minimal risk as a game developer. And they're able to pretty much offer these free licenses for users of small businesses to provide the pro license for large enterprises. The other avenue for revenue is the asset store, where they run a marketplace where developers can buy and sell assets, such as the 3D models, scripts, shaders, servers, and tools. And they take a percentage cut from every transaction that's made on the asset store, <laughs> App Store, Apple. The last one is Unity Ads, where they offer the monetization platform for developers called Unity Ads, where that's where the acquisition of Iron Source will help them in the bottom line in this specific lane, which was not as profitable as you think during this past two years. And now they're turning the corner, which should help generate the bottom line in those other categories that I mentioned above. So unit is up uh, about 40% on the year to date. Um, they did pop, of course, on, on some of that news. I think it's 17% I'm seeing. This is interesting because they did kind of start off hot. They did take a little tumble, then peaked out in November of 2021. And then it's kind of looked like a lot of the SPACs almost here. And, and so there's that upside with Apple. Now that that news is behind them. Joey, I don't know if you have like any bear case here, because I think it's important to look at the upside as well. But you know, seeing the cost of their revenue, I think jumped up 78%. I was taking a look at uh, seeing that the ad revenue is down across the board. If we continue to go in a downward spiral with the economy and people are not spending a lot of money on ads, like how much does that hurt the business? Well, yeah, so the, the whole bear case on Unity essentially played out for them. You know, the valuation got way ahead of itself. Its growth rate slowed big time. Now, digesting the iron source acquisition will kind of inflate the growth stats when you're looking at them. But, you know, it's almost like all that could have gone wrong went wrong for them. And you saw their stock was north of 200 and it went under 20 after an earnings release. I want to say it hit like 18 or even got down to like 16 before like immediately bouncing. But I feel like all of that negativity and everything that could have gone wrong going wrong was priced into the stock once it entered, you know, like the low 20s. I was kind of looking at overall enterprise value as opposed to everything they've got going for them. I just felt like it was overdone. But the thing is, that's how it was for a lot of companies. I mean, we saw this with Meta going under 100. You saw like Amazon and Google in the 80s. Like all these companies were oversold, way oversold. So it's not like you could buy everything. So Unity was one that I was watching closely. I was just focused on, you know, like the biggest and the best that, you know, given the state of the market, everything going down could continue to go down. But this is kind of when we circle back to where if we're really coming out of this and companies are getting back to operations as, as usual, and if, you know, people looking at this Apple headset as almost like getting people excited about the potential of this VR, AR worlds, metaverse, everything, the two players are Uni uh, Unity and Unreal Engine. So, whether you think Apple's going to help bring this space out of it, or if you think Meta with Oculus and, and its Quest Pro are going to continue to dominate. Again, everything with Oculus, if you look at the two platforms available on developer.oculus.com, it's Unity and Unreal Engine. So like those are the two players. And I feel like Unity does have an edge over Unreal Engine at this point that you know it's not the worst company to speculate on at this point. And you know, if I have to say so myself, it's it's a pretty exciting company, especially because 
you know, everything they offer. I, I love the design space. I'm a huge fan of Adobe. And this is almost like a space that Adobe doesn't dominate right now in the whole digital twin and everything that it's one that I've watched closely. I did trade it around the Apple event and haven't of late, but it is one that I, I'm watching closely and almost, you know, if, if I move any cash to the sideline out of my big names, this is one that I, I would want a smaller stake in. I, I also, as an OG listener, I know how much this podcast loves picks and shovels plays. I think this is the best picks and shovel play for the AR and VR industry. So if you don't know who to pick between Zuck or uh, Tim Cook's headset, Unity is a great way to play that industry tailwind. And I'm glad you mentioned it, Joey. It is an all smooth sailing Unity. They have a lot of noise behind their financial strengths. They have a lot more convertible debts, around $3 billion compared to their cash position, which is in the low ones. That's a yellow flag, but it became a red flag once they initiated stock buyback on top of this news. So I feel a little manipulated by that. It's not the best sign for management. Hence, I don't love the CEO and the corporate governance that he communicates. But I do think that the worst is repriced then in the low 20s. I think the floor is also as well in the high 50s when Appfolio tried to buy them and they said no. And I think the purchase rumor is $58. I know um, Zuck is the visionary behind this whole meta universe and they tried to buy Unity before IPO in 2019 and they wouldn't sell either. So I forgot about the app loving deal. I forgot they tried to pull that app off. App loving, yeah, not Appfolio, my bad. Yeah, I think it's. It says a lot about the tech of Unity that these the powerhouse of Zuck wanted to buy it, and AppLovin was trying to buy it as well. And they said no. I think there's a lot of confidence behind the tech. So back when Adobe announced that they were going to buy Figma for twenty billion dollars, which I found ridiculous, Unity's market cap right now is fourteen billion, and at the time I want to say it was like eleven billion. To where that's almost like the match made in heaven that I've always seen. If Adobe bought Unity, everything that they do with design, imagine the company like with Adobe's management, one of the best CEOs in the game. I've always said he would be on the Mount Rushmore of SaaS along with like Mark Benioff, just because, you know, he almost made that software as a service model great. Like I always thought Adobe buying Unity would propel them, you know, into a new realm. You're, you're not wrong. As a, Selfish as a Unity shareholder, I don't want that, but that's a no-brainer for Adobe to get back in the game of, that might push them to the trillion dollar club, to be honest, like in five to 10 years, if they made that kind of acquisition. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be the best thing for Unity shareholders because it does have the potential to be, you know, I, I won't say in the near term, get back to like the 200-ish type level, but if everything shifts the way that, you know, Meta sees things slowly shifting to the metaverse over the long term. They think Oculus is going to be this massive unit. Apple's finally paying attention to it. It seems like a lot of people are focused on the VR, AR world. And with Unity being the way that people are building this, it will become more essential as we move forward. So again, I don't like the fact that you're not the biggest fan of management because you need a great jockey. You know, your company mm -hmm. can be great, but if the people leading you are dumb, but he will never be as great as it could be. So it's like maybe a management shift would be the best move for them and get people more bullish on it for the long term. But again, even if you don't have the best person leading you, 
you can still see great companies see great success with dumb people at the top. We've seen that time and time again. So hopefully Unity can be one of those and aren't just weighed down by people that aren't great at their jobs. I was going to say, like you guys were throwing out here, the acquisitions, like just you know, logically, if it's at its low point right now and there's a lot of upside, you know, coming in play with Apple and all these areas, do they buy now and like more imminently or do you, you know, you don't want to buy it when it's up 50% from here right now? I personally think it would take a triple digit offer to actually get Unity's share, like the board to sell, approve the sale. I think they're very confident in the industry. It was a quick no at the $58 offer recently when they're trading at mid thirties. Like that was a quick double if they wanted to. Hard no. I think they are patient and think long term of what this platform can actually mean. I mean, it's fully, this platform is very few opportunities in this marketplace to ride the wave of transitioning 2D entertainment to 3D. This is the way to do it. And there's and there's gonna be so much content out there with the new ChatGPT LLMs. Like there creates so much more content, like double, triple down the line that yeah. there's so much money made that I don't think they wanna just go for the quick buck right now. Like I can't even remember what the IPO price was for Unity. Was it 20 or? Yeah, I was going to say, that's a good point with the, the chat GBT. Like there's developer teams now of three to four people that could build out games constantly. And if they need to build on the platform, this could accelerate the amount of users and people that can now build. They don't need a development team of 20, 50 people. You can now build it with three or four people. And then that's a client that can produce a very big game, which is interesting. Yeah, going back to the IPO. So this, I see it priced at 52, opened at 75. And I remember I bought it on IPO day at like 69 and change and it closed the first day at 68. So even when you're looking at, you know, like IPO darlings, pandemic surges, this is still significantly below its IPO price. And you, you kind of look at like where the values now valuations were out of hand back then, you know, people were willing to pay significantly more. So the times are a little bit different, but you know, if company, if people were willing to value it, X back then, you know, it, it's significantly less now. And at, even checking on the valuations right now, you're talking if it's a, what did I say? Was a just under $12 billion market cap right now, or is it 14 billion? Let me check my model real yes. quick. Best thing yeah, my model was that they, that they, that they turned down $56, like that. They know what their financials are, where they're going to be heading. You know, if they felt like they were in trouble, they would take a bailout like that, you know? Yeah. So you've got a $14 billion company that's going to do 2.15 billion in revenue this year. So you're looking, you know, price of sales, not that significant. Um, it's showing normalized EPS should be profitable next year. So yeah, I mean, everything's kind of looking good for them right now if they can deliver. And again, that's going to come back to management delivering on this. To where, yeah, it looks like they're turning that corner on profitability. And if things ramp with Apple and, and every other kind of, I guess, every other growth vertical that they have right now, this could be almost like a turning point for both the company and the stock. I mean, also, I don't want to be a full John Hader, the CEO. He did make a move last quarter that it was like, oh, he, he's actually listening. A big issue of Unity was the developers were complaining that they're creating games, but there's so many layers to get to the top of that final green light approval that it was just dying out, taking too long. They're getting frustrated. 
John mentioned on the call that he heard that removed some layers, now is more streamlined on getting games greenlit. Knowing that, hearing that, okay, he's listening, essentially pivoting. Like, like, I don't love him, but I'm glad he's learning his lessons from the EA Sport days. Because that was an issue he had in EA games where games weren't developed as quickly as it should. Developers were frustrated. So I'm glad he is innovating in that element. Well, I mean, it shows he's amenable to, to change, right? I think people need to be Absolutely. fluid with the markets and the direction and ultimately listening to the customers, right? Or, or in this case, the developers listening to the people that are paying you. Guys, we've been talking for about an hour here or lo- a little longer probably. So let's wrap it up. Should we, uh, should we give it to the, the kid to, to wrap it up here? We got a, a, our first pounder back. We, this is a, a pounder's thesis. This is what the old school pounding the table, bringing the pounder's thesis on. So I guess, Shy, first and foremost, welcome. We'll definitely bring you on a lot more here and, and you know, bring you on more of the social and some of the deep dives that we'll hopefully be launching. But well, how do you feel? First time on the on the podcast, a listener now, guest host right now. So how you feel, man? Man, I love it. Thank you guys for having me. To be honest, it's a full circle moment. I, I started listening. I was walking my two-year-old mini Labradoodle on my walks, and now I'm speaking the uh, the great Avi right now. As a <laughs> and nice to meet you, Joey. I mean, guys, it's we have been, we've had an insane run past year. Uh, eight months specifically, it's been kind of insane. It's very 2020-like. Yeah, dangerous times. Definitely, just don't listen to people's advice. Take a second and monitor your risk parameters on like getting in or not. It's, it's very frothy out there. So let's keep going around and pounding the table. I'm excited for this upcoming season. I love it, man. Yeah. And then we want other folks on too. So if you guys have a good thesis, we're going to bring the Pounders thesis back. Summer is officially here as of two days ago. So go outside, enjoy the weekend as usual. And we'll be back next week for another edition of Pounding the Table. That's a big move. Big money, big Sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce with the rice.